So in your pew Bible, I don't know what page it, what page is it in the pew Bible? You can just yell it out if you have it. Yeah, which, actually, that's right. The newer one, what page in the newer one? Chapter 1. All right, page 185. And then if you got the quote-unquote older ones, or the solid red or solid blue Bible, what page would that be? Anybody got one of those? No? So let's pray. God, I pray that you'd speak to us through your word and through um, a woman, Lord, who just really modeled what you call us to. And Christmas is all about a woman who also really modeled what we're supposed to be doing, Lord, and Mary, Father. Um, just graciously taking upon her assignment, Lord, and you know, trying to figure out how to still remain married and raise the God that helped create her. And it's a tough thing, Lord. And so, Father, I pray you fill us with wisdom, Lord. I pray, Father, that you'd fill us with a freshness and with a vibrance, Lord, to our walks, Lord, to our understanding of you. Uh, just to our faith, Lord, just a freshness, a vibrance, Lord, just a, a sense of just being alive, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you just fill each one of us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Yes, yeah, so I think that being in First Samuel and talking about Hannah and what's going on with Samuel here, totally, like, appropriate for Christmas time. Very much so. Um, We talked a little bit last week. Did you miss anything last week? So basically the story is, uh, Samuel, he probably didn't write it because he dies, (laughs) like, in the middle of the book. So unless he's a ghostwriter of some kind that we don't know about, Somebody else wrote it, or maybe he, like, started it, and then somebody else kind of finished it. And the entire purpose for writing the book was that the entire nation of Israel, they were, like, removed from their territory, from their area, globally, geographically, everything that was familiar, they were taken away, and then they were asking questions, who is this God? Where is this God of Moses, this God who does this parting of the Red Sea, who does all these plagues, who does these miracle things through Elisha and Elijah? Where is, who is this? King David? Where is all of that? What happens? So this book is written with the intent to address this sort of like questioning, hopelessly questioning kind of mindset. And the idea behind whoever wrote this, they're trying to get at, hey, listen, God is definitely behind you guys. He's definitely, since the very beginning, been involved and been focused on sustaining you and seeing you through and providing. So don't lose heart even though it looks bleak. I mean, that's just a powerful message right there. But that was the intent behind writing the book. And we talked last week about a woman. What was her name? 
Hannah, right? Thank you, Lori. Hannah is kind of a key figure here, okay? Um, her name, right, really means uh, graciousness, uh, like favored one. And she had a rival, Penina, right? This is the advantage. So when there's like no people here, we can kind of like talk and we can talk with each other. All right? So you have Hannah and Penina. And so it's a problem, number one, that you got two wives, one husband. That was never the design. That was never the setup. And because the Bible talks about it, does not mean that the Bible condoned it, supported it, or wanted it. But nonetheless, it is where they ended up. So it gives us a kind of insight and a kind of clue that the nation as a whole was in such bad shape that the people leading the way, the priests, that they thought they could have as many wives as they wanted to. (laughs) they, They weren't in a good place. They were struggling. So, uh, the husband, anybody remember the husband's name? Christine's like, uh, or she's yawning, she could be yawning. Elkanah, Elkanah, right? So you have husband Elkanah, he's got the two wives, what are their names? Hannah and Penina, right? And so, people are still like figuring this out. So, Who's the husband? Elkanah. He's got the two wives. Hannah and Penina. We just should do this every time, really, is what we should do. Right. So that, those are kind of the major players, okay? Uh, one of them, uh, who was the wife that was married first? Hannah, right? Hannah. Um, she had a problem. Her problem was couldn't have any kids. It's very interesting, the phrasing used in the Bible. And it's used of her and several other women that couldn't have kids. It says that the Lord closed up her womb. That, it, that opens up a whole can of worms. Why would God do that? Why? How come? What purpose could he possibly have in mind that could really justify doing that? And those are some fair and legit questions. And I could give you the sort of rehearsed Christian responses to those. And some of them could sound pretty good, but honestly, at the end of the day, I'm not going to be able to tell you anything that's, listen, here's the exact reason. A lot of the times, we're not going to get the exact why answer that we need. We're not going to get it. And please, I hope for you, and I I pray for myself continually, that I won't be so stuck on the whys in my life that I can't get to the how. The how, God, how we, how are we going to do it now? Because I can live in the whys for a really long time. Because I can find lots of things to be disgruntled or upset about or, or find issues with. And it's a mark of maturity in our Christian faith when we can spend less time there really helps us. So, so she, instead of really sitting on the why, she felt that it was her calling to pray to God a ridiculous prayer. Father, give me the ability to have kids. I want to have a kid. I specifically one. 
I want to have a child. I want to have a child. That's pretty ridiculous. If there's something in your life physically that you were unable to do in some way, shape, or form, and you decided to bring that to the Lord, whatever it is, uh, to, to most outsiders that are not Christians, they say, listen, I have to have by now, it ain't going to happen, just get over it. Figure out another way. It's interesting. And, and, and I want this part of Hannah's personality. She was like, no. Just, just something, I, no. I need to be, continue to bring this before God. And it says that year after year after year after year. And not only that, the other wife with the kids, taunting, rubbing it in her face. And we can only imagine what she's saying. So she brings that before God. And she, she would hate, I don't know if hate's the right word, but I'm sure she wasn't very much looking forward to the time of year, the yearly time of year, where they would actually go and travel and make their sacrifice and kind of have like um, their church time. They would have to go you know, to the temple and worship and do things they'd have to do, but one time a year they'd actually have to travel to a place, Shiloh. They'd have to go there and worship. And those are some of the roughest ones for her. Um, and that's where we found her last week. And she was just beside herself, um, you know, last week, and she was just there in church, and she uh, didn't pray anything magnificent. She just had her eyes closed, prayed to herself. Her mouth was going, no words coming out. Priest saw her, and it thought she was drunk. That's what he's used to seeing, because the country is just that far out of whack. It would be, wouldn't be that uncommon to have someone just acting really weird and because they're drunk in church. So he just, hey, why are you drinking and coming to church? And she's like, no. You know, like I'm pouring out my soul here. I am a wreck. And I'm pouring out my soul to God here. And he's like, oh, you know. Well, in that case, I hope that God hears you. And I hope that his favor rests upon you. And then she leaves. Um, And then... What happens? Uh, husband lays with her. Sure enough, there's one in the oven. There's one in the oven. And um, that's how Samuel steps onto the scene. And it's very interesting, like we said last week, how a baby, I don't know why God does this. Like, I don't, there's a part of him I don't really understand. I, it's hard for me to connect with because my fleshly mind thinks so opposite. If I am the, like, leader, the king, commander of all the armies, I might give people some time to, like, figure things out. But if things got bad enough, probably just show up on the scene and say, hey, listen, now you've you've had your time to figure it out. I'm in charge. We're going to get it done now. And, like, God, like, didn't choose to do it that way. He chose to take a baby to change the entire course of a nation. And he didn't just do it with Samuel. He also did it through Jesus Christ, which is amazing to me. 
because Samuel literally changes the entire trajectory of the whole entire nation. And it came from one mom who was just filled with a lot of sorrow and grief and couldn't understand a lot of the whys about God, but she didn't let her stop her from coming before the throne. That is a powerful testimony in woman. And that's why very often this passage is used in Mother's Day. So, Samuel is then born. And we're going to read about how she now responds, because part of her prayer, her prayer was, Lord, listen, if you give me this child, I won't even keep him. I'll give him right back to you. That's a super humble prayer. Super humble. Because you're saying, like, just give this to me so I can be happy and so, like, I'll stop getting flack from so-and-so. I, I can feel more like a woman now, like my husband will treat me. To, but it wasn't about any of that stuff. It was about, Father, like, please, just tell me that you hear me. Tell me that you're there. Respond in a supernatural. I'll just give them back to you, but I need to hear from you. That is powerful. And so many Christians avoid coming to that point because that's painful and that hurts. That point hurts. And we're usually so busy managing our pain in a way so we never have to get to that place because that's not a fun place to be. But in reality, many times, that's the only place where God truly has all of us and now, like, we can get somewhere. Just the way it goes a lot of times. So, let's see what Hannah does. What's the response? What would your response be if you got your prayer? So we're going to pick up and... We'll pick up in verse uh, 20, okay? It says, so in the course of time, Hannah conceived, gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. That's a good name. Verse 21. When the man Elkanah went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice, right, we talked about this, to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, Hannah didn't go. She said to her husband, after the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord. And he will live there always. So she's like, yeah, you know, I'm not going for a while. That, to, to me, that's kind of scary when I see that. You know what that's kind of like? That's kind of like the person who struggles in college or like, uh, yeah, typically it's college. It's going to upper degree. And they're like, you know, I'm going to take a semester off. Take two semesters off. I'm just going to work, save some money. That's like... That's like danger zone. The, the odds of that, if they're struggling already and they're taking time off, the odds of them coming back are very slim. And she's like, hey, I got my answer to prayer. I got my son. I'll come back in a few years. <laughs> Husband's probably like, eh. So here's what he says. He says to her, do what seems best to you. Stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. In other words, hey, don't forget like what you said. You're going to give him back. So weaning is like, you know, they're off of breastfeeding. They can pretty much eat for themselves. Typically, you know, two to four years old. Still super young. I mean, that's super. I, you know, that would be like right now we give away Judson to whoever. You just drop them off. Oh, 
Gee, I don't know if it's in this time, man. Jeez. So verse 24, after he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with three-year-old bull, um, a certain amount of flour and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When they had slaughtered the bull, they brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, As surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and this Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord for his whole life. He will be given over to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. This woman's got integrity, right? Big time. She was not going to budge on this dedication issue. Talk about, you know, we always do, you know, uh, dedicating children and, and um, you know, having the kids come up and praying over them, praying over the family. And really, dedication of a child is it's honestly more about the parents than it is about the kids. Because at some point in time, that little one has to say, hey, this is not... Jesus of my parents, God of my parents, that's actually my Savior. He actually paid also for my sins. So that's my God and my King. I want to live for Him. I'm going to worship Him. Whether mom and dad do or not anymore, it's irrelevant. I am now choosing to because He's my Savior. So, like, the kids got to get to that age. So that's why we do child dedications. You know, it's just about, it's really about the parents. Listen, fam, parents, are you committing in front of everyone that you're just going to keep your home a godly home, that you're going to raise them up in the ways, teachings of Jesus Christ in the Bible? Are you intentionally going to set up an atmosphere where the truth we believe is the Bible is consistently there? Are you going to try and fill them with that? Are you going to try and call the best out of them? Are you, going to try, are you going to submit yourself as a parent and make sure that your kids know that God is in charge of you? Right? Like that's really the call in baby dedication. And then typically, like the pastor, whoever they'll pray over the, chi- over the parents and the child, now they're dedicated. Hannah took it, you know, she's like, man, totally given over. And there's even a deeper level to that, another layer which I want to show you in a minute, which just puts an entirely new spin on it, which we'll get there, okay? Chapter 2 says, Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart, here she, she like goes off. She goes, I love this part. And honestly, here is my prayer before like, you know, we talk about this tonight and dig in a little bit more. Uh, it is my prayer. We talked about joy in the beginning, right? Shepherds, angels, God's glory, um, heaven in the highest, joy, and we just sang. Joy, joy, joy is a popular theme this time of year. Um, whether we feel it or, or, or not. Joy is a popular thing. And after we have just, man, submitted ourselves to God in prayer, come before Him and just, whew, just been laying it out, laying it out, sometimes for years, in her case, for years. And then there's breakthrough. You get kind of excited. And in her case, she writes, she writes like really a song. Song slash song. And this is it right here. 
So she says, and it was my prayer that thought that God would just fill us just with the joy this holiday about who he is. Whether or not he's shown up in a way we expected him to show up, I do pray, and I have been praying really all week long for you and for me, that he would just fill my heart just with the joy about who he is, about what he wants to do, about what his plans are. Because like you, there's so many areas in my own life where I'm still like, hello, God, are you listening? You are there, right? You are a dad and you're listening, so it'd be good to hear from you. I'm serious. Like, these are things that I pray and I talk with him about. It's totally legal. It's totally fine. And he very much appreciates that. That's a bearing of a heart, bearing of a soul. And then when some kind of answer comes, there's just tremendous rejoicing about that. And that's where she's at. So she says, my heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord, my horn is lifted high. Basically, she's favored by God. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance. Who do you think she's talking about? Yeah, she's thinking about Penina. All those years she's been giving it to me, giving it to me. Says, for the Lord is good, who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. The bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who are full hire themselves out for food, but those who are hungry hunger no more. She who is barren has borne seven children. You might want to underline that one. Wait, what? Are we getting to there? But she who has had many sons pines away. I guess Penina wasn't doing so hot, unfortunately. Verse 6. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and he raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throat of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. Upon them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked will be silenced in darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Facebook and tweet it. Not on our own effort, not our own strength. But we get done, have breakthrough, and see significant things happen. Our strength matters, and we should contribute it and work hard. It's not an excuse to be lazy. Still got to work hard. But to solely rely on that and never keep God at the center of it is a huge mistake. Those who oppose the Lord will be shattered. He will thunder against them from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah. But the boy ministered before the Lord under Eli the priest. So she is pumped. She's excited. And you might think, I I mean, I personally would kind of think, she just had this amazing answer to prayer. She has this son now. She just dropped off her three-year-old. I don't know. It was a big part of me that wouldn't be that excited about it. I kind of miss him. And she probably does miss him. 
but her perspective has drastically changed because of the investment into prayer that she has made. Tell me that you just heard that. Her perspective has drastically changed because of her investment into prayer. It's not she's just dropping him off and maybe she'll see him again next year. It's that, no, God was faithful. He heard me. I'm dropping him off. He'll protect him. And God hasn't forgotten about me either. It wasn't a one-time deal. Many times, like, we think that, oh, my gosh, i got to pray, and, and maybe this big thing might happen. And maybe it will, and maybe it does. And then we think that, oh, I'm probably tapped out for this year. Like, that was pretty big. God's like, like, no. I'm your father. Like, I, I enjoy doing that. Giving gifts and showing up like that. I, I, that's, that's fun to me. I like that. So her perspective was entirely different. It was just filled with rejoicing. Now check this out. Uh, Eli's sons, verse 12, Eli's sons were wicked men. They had no regard for the Lord. This is the priest's kids. These are the ones leading the nation. The sentence is, they were wicked, they could care less about God. Now it was the practice of the priests with the people that when, when anyone offered a sacrifice, and while the meat was being boiled, the servant of the priest would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand. He would plunge it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, and the priest would take for himself whatever the fork brought up. This is how they treated all the Israelites who came to Shiloh. But even before the fat was burned, the servant of the priest would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, give the priest some meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. If the man said to him, let the fat be burned up first and then take whatever you want, the servant would then answer, no, hand it over now. If you don't, I'll take it by force. The sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. Just a quick thing on that. Seems kind of weird and like, what do we say? What just happened? Basically, the king of the land, the religious leader, his sons were like the gatekeepers. So people would come in, they would bring their offerings or something. Millions of people would come. They'd come with their sacrifices. You saw when they came and they brought Samuel, they brought a bull. People would bring all kinds of animals for sacrifices and the duties that they had to do. And the deal was, God wanted specific sacrifices, the, the choicest, best parts of the meat to just burn on the altar. Nobody touches it. It just burns. Signifying God getting our best. We, we don't have it. We don't have a hand on it. That's money and resources we'll never get back. We're giving it to him right off the top. It was started in the Old Testament. That was the way they lived all the time. So it was never foreign to them to worship God by giving their best. The way it was reinforced was they would give their best animals and the best meats on the animals. That's like something a lot of us, a lot of Christians and churchgoers know nothing about. Many times the church is, I just kind of like give what's left over. I mean, you know, kind of give them a little bit, throw them a little something. 
that's so radically different than the way it's always been in fellowship with God. So these young priests, they'd go in, they'd dip in like this uh, giant prong thing, take out meat they shouldn't be taking out, and just eating it and just having feasts all the time. So they were, as the word said, totally disrespecting like what God had said was his. It's like, well, no, no I want it, so I'm going to take it. That was their attitude. And God's like, God is a serious problem. And now the nation will be in trouble because this is the leadership. So just pause with me there for a minute. Hannah, she dropped off her three-year-old with these clowns. She knew, everybody knew, because as we're going to read further, they were also not just stealing meat, they were sleeping with any woman that they could that was coming through. And then Hannah, she gets her miracle child from the Lord and then goes to give it back, stays faithful to her vows, even though it's incredibly unstable, ungodly, and looks very wrong. She's like, no, I'm going to keep my word and put my son there. Here's what that's called. I'm going to tell you what that's called. It starts with an F and it ends with an H. Yeah. Some people think it's just called, it starts with an S and ends with a D. Stupid. Yeah. Because what that is, is many times the line between faith and stupid is like really thin. But she made her vow, and she could have just said, man, I was just really upset. I didn't really mean I would drop them off, especially with the irresponsible people that you have got. Like, put better people in place, and I will definitely drop him off. None of that going on inside her. This is, like, radical. And I don't even see any of that in her prayer in chapter 2 here. Like... God, strike down those irresponsible fools and rise up some good ones so my boy can be around good things. People that know your heart. I was talking to somebody just the other day. And, uh, and they're a Christian. And, you know, they're, they're, they're somewhere else. And, and they have a heart for sharing Jesus and talking about Jesus. And they're really good at it. And, you know, it just comes more naturally to some people. They're just gifted in that way. Um, just because you don't have that gift, by the way, doesn't mean you never should. So you know that. Um, but they're good at it, and they're sharing, and they're not from the area, and, but their heart was just really burdened as far as now plugging in the people that they've been talking to in the particular church. And so they're just like, oh, this church here has this wrong, and this church there does that, and this church, they sing these songs, and this church there has, they're just picking out all the stuff wrong with every church in the area. And like, there's room for that. I mean, you definitely want to be in a church that's Bible-believing, believes in Jesus Christ, believes in the Holy Spirit that then comes and powers and equips, and then believes that, like, living after him. So those are important. But honestly, a lot of the other stuff isn't that important. So I was talking with this, you know, individual, and I was like, listen, just point him into a church that, for the most part, takes care of the core things, and God will take care of them. Don't go looking for the perfect church because you can be looking for a long time. And this sure ain't one, I'll tell you that. And we ain't going to get more perfect. 
but I do pray we become more surrendered. I do pray we become more impactful. I do pray that we become excellent in sacrificing. That's, where, that's our calling. Like, that's our calling here. That's what God is looking for from our church. He's looking for us to be excellent in surrender, excellent in sacrifice. So some of you may have gone through the membership class and be like, yeah, I want to be a member. And then you heard that and you're like, no, I don't want to be a member now. <laughs> but honestly, that, that's the call on us for sure. I can tell you that with full confidence. God is looking for that. He wants that. And we're going to gain a lot of ground when collectively we are really functioning like that. It's just going to happen. So she drops off her child to this mess. I can't wait to ask her about that in heaven. Like, listen, why did you do that? <laughs> why? Why'd you drop him off? How come, like, nothing's written about you fighting about it or crying about it or being anxious or anything? Were you? <laughs> I'd love to ask about that. Okay, but we got to keep going here. So, um, Okay, verse 18. We're almost done. But Samuel is ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod, just like kind of like a linen sort of robe thing. Each year his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. So she'd see him once a year at least, which is awesome. Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife, saying, May the Lord give you children by this woman to take the place of the one... uh, she prayed for and gave to the Lord. Then she would go home. And the Lord was gracious to Hannah. She conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. This is just awesome. Did she get just the one? She didn't just have Samuel. She's saying that she had seven. And if you count right here, what you got? Three and two. That's how many? Five, you count Samuel, that's, must have got another one later. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. And then verse 22, now Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So he said to them, why do you do these things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, it is not a good report that I hear spreading among the Lord's people. If a man sins against another man, God may mediate for him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. There's another one that will leave you scratching your head. You're like, what? I can't unpack all of it right now. Then verse 26. And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with men. Let me just give you this one thought just as we finish up here. Um, It's like super obvious to me about Hannah, her faithfulness, um, her patiently persevering in prayer, her faith level leave her son in a situation that was questionable at best. And then it's very interesting to me that you have this contrasting story of two families. You have the religious 
churchy people with Eli and his sons. Nothing but screwed up. Then you have, right, Elkanah, Hannah, and Peninnah. Also fairly dysfunctional. But one woman with a heart that just really needed to be close to God's heart. And she wouldn't budge on that. She wouldn't budge. And then you see the contrasting sons that rise up out of that. You got really, you know, a, a strong single mom that led the way, and Elkanah probably jumped on after and helped out the best he could. Then you got a family of these priests where they're really given everything they needed and provided for, grew up in the house of the Lord, and never knew who he was. And then you got Samuel. Spent a little bit of time with mom. And don't you think for a minute that all those prayers for Samuel before he's even born weren't still covering his life when he was alive? Because you know they were. So parents, we always are praying. Always. So when Samuel rises up, and all he's doing at this stage in the game, you can see what's happening. The, the sort of traditional, at a distance, religious, disconnected way to approach God is diminishing. And this heart that's honestly seeking, covered in prayer by mommy and daddy for a little while, is like just rising. And this, like other ways, just diminishing. Not excellent, not giving all. Just like sort of mentally a sense that God is important but never gives best. And then the other way is just increasing. That's intriguing to me. Very intriguing to me. And I think for all of us, what that means is I hope that you see the importance of our family. You've got these two different families. It's really important. The spiritual barometer of that home and where the kids end up. It's just super important. Super important. Because who knows what God will do with whatever we can give him. Hannah wasn't bringing a whole lot to the table. And so, for us as families, you know, just in this nation, to keep in our home the spiritual barometer at a fairly high mark is at a premium and super important. Super important. And it's not, I know I understand that there's one level of just even talking about stuff in the home, about Jesus, about God, about who he is. That's like level one. Level two is in now modeling all the stuff that we talk about. And that's really the most important level because that's the thing that connects. And that's where God really wants us to be. And I think even during Christmas time, you think of another family that just changed the whole nation and Mary and Joseph. And then all their kids, you know, it's just, a, it's an amazing thing. And so I hope that during this Christmas season, whoever your family is, whatever the family is like, number one, all hope is not lost. Say it with me out loud. All hope is not lost. Yes, it is not. It is not. So we may have set up bad patterns. We may have been irresponsible with things. We may have even set whatever. Just got a lot of mistakes and we can find them all. Thankfully, 
that's, those are not determining factors for how blessed our kids could be. And, uh, and so I hope that you don't give up on any family members, don't give up on any kids. Also take very seriously our responsibility and role with, with the few kids that we do have and with the more kids that we do want. We have an amazing opportunity to not just preach at them, but model and share stories and cause them to just be interested and be excited just like those shepherds were. Got a great opportunity. Amen? Okay. Let's amen and close this thing. And Michelle made some. What did you make, Michelle? Slip, slippers. <laughs> we don't want to eat slippers. What did you make? Yeah, that sounds good. Some lasagna soup. So, Father, even only a few of us tonight, Lord, I pray, Father, that we would be a, a people, Lord, that would be bold and would be courageous in our prayers with you, Father. I pray that we would be intentional. I pray that we would persevere, Lord. I pray, Father, that you'd show us where to be stubborn, where we need to be stubborn. Give us better clarity on that line between faithfulness and stupidity. And I pray that we would just take some chances and some risks on things. I thank you that you take great joy and great pleasure in answering our prayers. You take great joy and great pleasure in listening to us day after day, month after month, year after year. And I thank you that our perspective changes entirely. So, Father, I pray that you will answer prayers, Lord, that you will give clear and confirmed words, Lord, on what you're doing in our lives and the things that matter to us and the things that we're stressed out about, the things that we're concerned with. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will just release a word, a confident word from you as far as what you're doing and what you're directing us with the plans you have in mind. I thank you that we can come to you. I thank you that all of it is possible because of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Downstairs.